So we are now embarking on hearing God chapter 8. Only one more chapter to go, if you, don't realize, if you didn't realize this, because next week is chapter 9 and we're done. And uh, so this is hearing God chapter 8. And uh, for those who just joined us, don't worry. All, the, this, all these sermons are actually recorded and so I'm found on our website and you can locate it as a podcast, video, iTunes, Google Play, we're everywhere. Yeah, we're, we're just infesting the whole social media spectrum. But um, yes, so we are now at Hearing God chapter 8. And, uh, but before we begin, uh, let's uh, just do a quick recap of last week. Last week, we went through chapter 7. And um, chapter 7, we realized that the word fruitfulness really means living a life that draws people to Jesus. Fruitfulness really means it draws people to Jesus. Our testimony is our fruit, okay? Our testimony, the way we live, is our fruit. So last week, a good question to ask ourselves is, do people around us, the people we know, we love, like our family, our friends, our spouses, our boyfriends, girlfriends, colleagues, coworkers, do they know, or actually better, do they believe in our testimony? Do they believe that we are Christian? Or somehow, one of the, like, uh, during a lunch break or something, like, and then we say, yeah, we're Christian, and they go, oh, you are? <laughs> or do they say, oh yeah, I had a funny feeling you were. Which of the two would they say if, uh, if we said, yeah, I'm Christian? Because that's fruitfulness. Jesus says, remain in me, and then you will be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful then? It is basically not using Jesus as just a mere Duracell battery, right? We're not using him just to, you know, live our lives as energy, like use him as an energy source. Because he did say that whoever remains in the vine will uh, like survive because that's, uh, that's life. He gives life. The word, here, the word is Jesus, and Jesus says, I am the life. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not, I give life, right? However, there's a difference between just a mere connection, like a Duracell battery, and a remain. Because he says, remain, you would bear fruit. But how do we bear fruit? It is through our testimony. And is our testimony drawing people to Jesus? Follow? Now on to chapter 8. And I will begin with our passage today in John chapter 4, verse 5 to 30. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, please click it, <laughs> swipe it, tap it, or actually turn to it. Very rare now these days. I'm looking around and everybody just takes out their phone. But go to that uh, passage, John chapter 4, verse 5, verse, verse 5 to 30, and then we'll skip over to 39 to 43. Very popular story. It's a Samaritan woman at the well. So I will read it. So bear with me. It's a little lengthy, but I tried to figure out, can I cut back? Not really. You really have to read the whole thing. So follow me as I read. So he came to the town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? I have, oops, I have, like, oops, sorry. <laughs> Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, said Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you taking with her? Uh, why are you talking with her? Sorry. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the water, woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. After the two days, he left for Galilee. This is God's word. We are now on our final chapters, like I said, chapters 8 and 9. Now, chapters 8 and 9 are about how we discern God's voice. That's why I titled this talk today, God, is that you? Willard identified three lights that God uses to communicate to us. He says this, God uses circumstances, he uses impressions of the spirit, and he uses scripture. However, he gave us a warning that all three need to work interdependently. Here's what he means. Just because the circumstances seem to align, like the stars are aligning, just because the circumstances are aligning, it does not mean that those circumstances are from God. Or just because we feel sure that it's the right thing to do does not mean that that's from God, the feeling of it all. And just because, well, for example, myself, one time I did this, just because I stood on a chair, held up the Bible, dropped it, and said, God, whatever verse that I point now that turns to it, that's your will. And then he said, and then do you know why I pointed? Jesus wept. And then I'm like, oh, okay. So that does not mean that that is the will of God, right? That does not mean that he's talking to me. No, uh, Willard says a large part of the practical problem in working with the three lights, he says, comes from the simple fact that they are 
interdependent. It is difficult or impossible to tell what the one is saying without already knowing what the others are saying. In other words, we have to be well-versed in the scripture. We have to be well-tuned and experienced on how, what feelings we're feeling. And we have to also be really familiar with our circumstances. That is why this morning, I wanted to include one more light. One more. I know as if three is already too much. I'm going to include one more. I would like to include reason, our brains. Why? Because as Willard says, a life lived by listening to God's speaking is not one that excludes our own judgment. Right? Our reasoning evaluates our situation when God's word comes to us. Our reason evaluates the timing, the context, our surrounding. And it also works in tandem with the Holy Spirit to pull things together and move into the appropriate action or decision. I call this reasoning, and if you want to put it in Christian terms, it's called inspired by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit uses our reasoning to pull things together and coalesce into one coherent story for us. You follow? That's what inspired means, is to pull things together. Our reasoning, therefore, this morning, our reasoning is about pulling things together. And this morning, I'm not really, per se, going to go over the Samaritan woman and the, the dialogue between her and Jesus. Let's use this morning and just evaluate and examine the Samaritan woman only. Because I find that as I read this story again, she is tapping into those four lights. All right? And, how do, and we're going to try to figure out how she tapped into these four lights and determine that Jesus is not a fraud. Okay? Notice that what she said, you are the Messiah at the end, right? Well, how did she come to that conclusion? She must have tapped into her four lights. And so we're going to analyze her. Samaritan woman, exhibit A. So why did the Samaritans, okay, so first of all, why did the Samaritans and Jews not associate with one another? Why the hate, right? The Samaritan woman gave us that answer. She says that the Samaritans and Jews disagreed on who had a right to be children of God, right? One of those deep differences was the true mountain of worship, Mount Gerizim, which the Samaritans worship, and Mount Zion, where the Jews worship. Who had the right mountain? The Battle of the Mountain, or more like the Battle of the Churches, right? Who had the right worship service? Who had the most spirit? Who had the right teachings? It was like a debate, right? But then, uh, and if you are going to be with us again, later on, we'll be going to the First Corinthians. Their battle was who had the right spirit? Or who had the most Holy Spirit, right? It was that battle, that debate. And in order to know who had the right stuff, okay, that was a song. Okay, who, that, that who had the right stuff, the Samaritan woman tells Jesus, we will know when the Messiah shows up to the people he chooses. So if Jesus shows up to the Samaritans, we got it right. If Jesus showed up to the Jews, they got it right. You follow? So there's that humongous debate. Who really got it right? But then we realize that that's not really the concern for the Samaritan woman, was it? Yes, she mentions to Jesus that, you know, she's not supposed to talk to her due to religious politics. But that's just a cover-up, if you kind of noticed. She wants to appear holy and religious by following those rules. But deep down, she already knew that both religious circles have already written her off. Right? She didn't have to cover up with religious stuff. Deep down, she already knew that the, both religious groups, regardless of who, where she is, 
these religious guys already written her off. Why? Because, and I'm sure you could pick this out, she was already divorced how many times? Five times, and she's shacking up with her boyfriend. That's a big no-no in those two religious circles' eyes. That's why she's already been written off. Now, however, even though it's a big no-no, she's pretty good at hiding it because not many people knew, right? Only her, probably her closest circles, right? Because what does she do? She's very good at disguising it with her religious-osity. She quickly said, I'm a Samaritan, rather than saying, yeah, I'm um, divorced five times and shacking up with a boyfriend. Get it? Okay. Now, so the circumstances of this conversation finds itself is not the religious stuff. It's not the religious debates. It's not about theology, right? No. The circumstances is the woman's sin. And Jesus addresses the true circumstance. I want to show you a video of an example of how might Jesus address us in our circumstances. So, Pat, can we get that video out? So, Dave, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Well, I'm a, an executive assistant at a major pet products company. Dave, I don't want you to tell us what you do. I want you to tell us who you are. Oh, all right. Um, I'm a pretty good guy. I, um, I like playing tennis on occasion. Um, also, not your hobbies, Dave. Just simple. Tell us who you are. I just... Maybe you could give me an example of what a good answer would be. Um, what did you say? <laughs> you want Lou to tell you who you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just... Uh, I'm a nice, easygoing man. I might be a little bit indecisive at times. Um, Dave, you're describing your personality. I want to know who you are. I don't know what the hell you want me to say. I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I want to answer your question. Just not, not doing it right, I, I guess. I think we're getting a picture of Dave. Let's move on. Let's picture this and put it into this context. Jesus goes into the woman. Who are you? Samaritan woman goes, I'm a woman. You're not supposed to talk to me. Who are you? I'm Samaritan. You're a Jew. We're not supposed to talk to each other. Who are you? I'm thirsty. I need water to drink. <laughs> See? You follow? Every time Jesus uh, asks that question, Try to pick and pick and pick. The woman provides layers and layers and layers, right? It's very uncomfortable. Uh, you saw Jack Nicholson didn't yell at Adam Sandler, right? He didn't yell. He just kept on asking, who are you? Who are you? He didn't insult. No, he just kept asking the right question. The, the right question. Who are you? And I think Jesus does the same with us. Asking us, I don't, I'm not... When you talk to me, when you do your prayer requests, you bring out the circumstances to me, Jesus says. But really, I want to know is, what's the condition of your heart to this, to this circumstance? I want to know, how's your heart? Why do you want that? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to embark in that relationship? Why do you want to purchase that place? 
Why do you want that career? You see? He's not concerned about the circumstances that we're lifting up. What he wants is to lift up our hearts, and he wants to point at it and say, let's look at your heart together. Who are you, and why do you want this? Why are you there? So it's more like digging into our character, the heart of it, not the circumstances. So in John chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, we'll move on. He, Jesus told the Samaritan woman, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So point number one, when God speaks, he just hits it right in the noggin. He addresses the condition of our hearts. That's the light that Willard is saying. When God speaks, it's not about our circumstances. It's not about the thing that we're praying about. It's actually about our hearts. Remember the sermon I preached entitled, Search Me? Some of you were there. God addresses our substance. He doesn't address theological debates. He doesn't address career choices or buying decisions. No, God addresses our very brokenness. He addresses our brokenness. He speaks to us individually. He addresses the condition of our hearts in those circumstances. What is the condition of our hearts of our career, buying decisions, or relational circumstances? That's what he's concerned about. That's light number one. Now, point two. Now, interestingly enough, with a Samaritan woman, she knew scripture, or else she wouldn't have said this. I know that the Messiah is coming. How did she know that? Because she knew her scriptures. Recall that the Samaritans were very religious people who really believed that reading the scriptures frequently will give them brownie points to be in the Messiah's nice list. However, the woman did not make the connection at this point, not yet, but her knowledge of scripture prompted her dis this discussion, didn't it? It did, it carried the conversation with Jesus. The interpretation of scripture told her that she was not to associate with a Jew and the knowledge of scripture informed her that she is to expect a Messiah that is able to tell everything that she did that no one else knew about, AKA the five husbands and the shacking of the sixth. John chapter four, verse 29 and 39. Come, she says, see a man who told me everything I ever did. What did she say? Could this be the Messiah? She wouldn't have known what the Messiah was or who the Messiah was unless she already kind of knew in scripture the description of what this Messiah could do, which is to tell everything that she did that, and you don't even, and she didn't even know this person, but this guy just told everything. Okay, you follow? So that's number two, point number two, scripture. Scripture helps us to initiate the conversation, to actually tell, wait a minute, based on my knowledge of scripture, this voice is probably the one that I have to listen to that's addressing my heart right now. Point three, impressions of the spirit. Now, wonder why we sometimes yearn for something and everything, and every time we try to fill it with something else other than Jesus, it just doesn't seem fulfilling. But rather we feel a little bit of guilt, anxiety, uh, doubt, or anxiety to maintain it. Well, from my experience, I believe these feelings are the impressions of the spirit. Why do I say that? The Holy Spirit, what does, um, what does Hebrews say and what does uh, Paul say in Romans? The Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf. 
He's our counselor, right? And at times, when we veer away, and when we uh, start to depart and just uh, go on our own way and ignore God, the Holy Spirit in us yearns and groans on our behalf. We have that feeling of emptiness, suddenly. We have a feeling of doubt, anxiety, uh, depression, something that's going, why am I so agitated all of a sudden? Uh, as we veer away more and more, God, like uh, this Holy Spirit goes, well, it gives us this achy feeling, going, hmm, maybe I should listen. Maybe, but I really want the, you know, that debate inside us. There's this little like, conversations that's happening. That, folks, I believe is the Holy Spirit. The groaning, the moving, the anxiety, the tension inside, I believe that, in my experience, is the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Especially when I go into something already, and that decision of mine actually pulls me away from God. Especially. When I know that, like, uh, when that is uh, pulling me away from God, and I already, you know, when you, when you and I baptized and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, what have we accepted? We accepted the Holy Spirit, didn't we? Remember after I baptized Kat, Catherine? I said, receive the Holy Spirit. She received it. Guess what? The Holy Spirit went in her. It doesn't matter if she wanted or not, right? The Holy Spirit's in her. And so I says, no, I, you said yes, I'm coming in. I'm going to barge through that door, and I'm going to take over your life. And if you don't like it, I'm going to make you not feel nice. Right? And, uh, uh, and then as she, and then it, because she's not here, but she's probably watching on live. <laughs> um, like, it, she makes decisions that's going to veer away, make her veer away from God. She's going to have that uncomfortable feeling, that little ache inside. And as she veers even more, the Holy Spirit goes, no, I love you too much to leave this. I don't want you to depart from God. I love you too much. So therefore, I'm going to groan with words that you cannot express. Notice a lot of people, when they have anxiety and the depression, sometimes they can't say it out in words. Guess what? I believe sometimes that is actually the Holy Spirit groaning because words cannot express that. It's groaning. It wants God back. The Holy Spirit, he wants us to draw back to God. And those groans, that uncomfortable feeling, wants, he wants us back. That's why he's our counselor. He counsels through that. Not to teach us, not to say yes and no's, do not and do not. He just says, ooh, is that right? And that makes us think. Lastly, we see the Samaritan woman reasoning things out. Remember the fourth light of reason? She's putting things together in her head now as she goes along in this, with this conversation with Jesus. Her condition of her heart was revealed by Jesus and her thirst. She got up and did some math. And then he returned to her village and told everyone she has found her Messiah. She put it together. She says, the one who saved her and gave her new life. So there you have it. Say, there you have it. She put things together. She goes, wait a minute. I know that the Messiah knows everything. I was taught that, that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell me everything of my whole life. I also have this achy feeling. This need, this thirst, suddenly this thirst, right, for eternal love. And this guy identified what I really needed. My thirst was eternal love, right? So I, like, this guy knew that, and I had that thirst. I had that groan. And then lastly, I'm putting it all together now. Scripture, experience, the circumstances I'm in, and he's identifying everything. And then now, I, like, uh, and then, man, my mind is just suddenly 
the Holy Spirit's coalescing what needs to be like her story in that encounter. Then it clicked. And what did she do? She got up and ran to her village and told everyone. Told everyone. So let's review. How do we know that God is speaking to us? Whenever we say, God, is that you? First, before we even go into the conversation, we need to know who he is through frequently reading the scriptures. Are we really into the scriptures and then are we reading it thoroughly? Because remember my last sermon, scripture is our best, it's human's best ability to describe who God is and who Jesus is. Scripture describes and tells us and teaches us who Jesus is. And if we do not read it continually every day to devote ourselves, our attention to it, how do we know if God's speaking to us if we don't know who he is? So whatever is being said, so let's go in Matthew 17. I find that this is like the perfect one because like uh, some of us may not be really familiar with scripture, right? So I would love you, I would give you a hint, uh, just a quick tool. And it's found in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What does he say? In verse 40, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's a big hint from Jesus. Jesus is telling us, I know you don't have time to read the Bible every day. <laughs> I know that yeah, like, sometimes it's hard to have your scriptures open and try to engage with the world and then find the right verse to engage the circumstances. I know that. So therefore, I'm going to give you a hint. You know this passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. That pretty much sums it all up. Because he says, the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Use that as our rule of thumb, he says. So basically, every decision we make, every encounter that we, we engage in, we should ask ourselves, does this compromise my love for God? And second, does this compromise my love for my neighbor? Simple as that. That's scripture. Does this compromise my love for God, my all for God? And does this compromise my love for my neighbor? Second, God addresses the current condition of our hearts, not theological issues, and definitely not stuff about circumstances itself. God addresses the condition of our heart. He will ask the tough question, the why, the who. Who are you? Why are you doing it? And third, don't ignore the promptings and the yearnings and the discomfort that the Holy Spirit gives you. For us who accepted Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, we said yes already to accept the Holy Spirit as our counselor. Don't ignore him. The more we do, the less sensitive we are to his voice and promptings. The saltiness becomes less salty when, it's, when it is diluted. When there's that yearning, that anxiety, that frustration, that prompting, the thing that just words cannot express, the groanings that we are experiencing, the uncomfort, don't ignore that. Because quite possibly, most, most likely, is the Holy Spirit talking to you. And we have to acknowledge it. Lastly, reason. Once we pull it all together, come to realize that it is indeed God speaking to us, we need to take appropriate action. It is through our reasoning that we can develop the appropriate action. Let's face it, folks. If we know that we're doing something wrong, what is the most likely solution? Stop. 
right? I'm sorry, but like, I, I know this humongous theological degree that I just had, and, and that's all I could say, stop. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? Look, I do not doubt you all. You're all, we all, God gave us a great brain. We could figure it out. We pray, we seek community, we seek counsel, and we figure it out. But we, one thing we do know, the Holy Spirit is telling us, stop. Right? No need to negotiate. No need, need to negotiate with the devil. Just stop. Right? And we will figure it out together. And hence, that's why we always post our email addresses up at the screen. Because we want to journey together. We're not saying that we have to write answers, but, I wanted, but Fritz and I want to journey with you, pray together, so that the Holy Spirit will reveal the wisdom, the necessary wisdom and creative imagination to resolve the circumstances that you might find yourself in. And that you are convicted that you have to stop, but how, and how do you do it? Well, allow us to share in that burden. Allow us to share in that journey. Last part, I wanna leave with you. Jesus gave this wonderful promise to the woman. John chapter four, verse 10 and verse 14. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Christians, for those who have received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, do we truly believe that we have the gift of eternal life? If we do, how should we approach things? If we truly have this gift of eternal life. Jesus is telling us, if you truly know that you have this eternal life welling up inside of you, waiting to burst out in its fullness, how would, should we respond to the situations that we are facing today or the coming week? We as eternal life beings. And for those who are not, for those who may be journeying and who may be still looking for and figuring out, is this Jesus for me? Remember what the Samaritan woman found. She found life. The eternal love that she's been looking for through her five husbands and in her sixth shacking of her boyfriend, she was looking for eternal love, something that will fill her fully and overflowing, a wellspring of life, a relationship that would give her life, that would acknowledge who she is and help her to realize and actualize what God has made her to be her fullness, right? Jesus is that person. Jesus is that gift that she has found. And I hope that you, if you come to that decision, that we will do this together. And I pray that you will meet Jesus and realize that this gift that he has will finally will give you the fullness that you desire and that you will see who you truly can be. Your full, put fill in your name. I believe that this is the gift that Jesus has. And if we, for Christians, if you acknowledge that you have it, how should you approach? And for those who are still journeying, do you desire that gift? Let's close in.